thank you to the worship team. Appreciate the worship leader. It's the only worship leader I know who looks like he could beat your face off and, um, uh, and, and, and make you eat it. And um, so, uh, so nice to be here in Pastor Keith's uh, uh, domain. And, uh, of course, Julie's here um, doing all the work on the new house. And... Um, and where is her husband but golfing? He's worshiping in his holy land. And um, so very, very good to be in Tyrone, um, PA. My name is Peter Jowdry, and um, I serve in a couple of roles. One is I am the CEO of the Nehemiah Project in Altoona, Pennsylvania. We're an inner city redevelopment project. And some of you know of that. And then uh, the second thing that I do is I work in our own ministry, which is called Battlefield Ministries. Our mission is to mobilize and motivate God's people, motivate and mobilize God's people to the front lines of battle. People say, why did you call your ministry Battlefield Ministries? Well, we wanted something that reflected our marriage. And uh, so, um, so we wanted, you know, kind of to do something that was us. And uh, so, uh, actually, my wife is, uh, as we were last week, she was in one church and, and I was in another. And this week is the same thing. She's, she's actually at the church I was in last week. And so she's trying to clear up all the errors. And um, <laughs> so she'll be there a while. And, um, but so good to, to see you and thank you uh, for coming. And uh, it is true uh, that... Um, whether you are a uh, uh, people of God like we are or whether um, you're a secular uh, prognosticator or talking head on TV, everybody is saying the same thing. But America is headed for some difficult days. We are headed for some troubling times, uh, unprecedented times. We can look to, um, for instance, the Civil War, 1860 to... 65 and culminating in the assassination on April 14th of, um, of, of, of Abraham Lincoln, pretty troubling time. We can look at uh, other times where there was uh, in Great Depression followed by the Second World War, First World War, troubling times. Um, we can look at the late 60s, 70s, protesting war and uh, you know, the assassinations of major figures in troubling times. And whilst I don't prophesy any of any one of those specific things, we do say that America is facing some unprecedented times um, with major catastrophes happening all at once. Uh, discussed with my friend this week uh, who lives in Oregon and um, uh, Dr. Lee Schnabel, and he uh, uh, was just telling me that his son had to move in with him, which in and of itself would be tragic. And um, <laughs> if... if this is the reason why my wife and I keep moving. Um, we're hoping the children don't come back. Um, every time we move, we change our phone numbers, and uh, we don't give out our address. And, and uh, we try to go into some form of our own, our own form of a witness protection program, but they keep coming. Um, so he was talking about that, and he was talking about the fact that his son, is, who, who just assumed a pastorate, and the, and the whole community is about to be burned where his son pastors, and how difficult that was. I say all that to say that, that you know, that's one thing. That's a natural kind of disaster, and it's happening in at least seven states in the United States. And, of course, nobody can forget the pandemic, and nobody can forget the political chaos and the incredible division in this country. And this is uh, uh, indicative of, of what it means to uh, be stirred up about the end times. Now, friends, we must understand that in many other countries have faced horrendous things like this, and they had their own kind of sense that, hey, this has to be the, the advent of the apocalypse. This has to be the, the, the revelation, of the second revelation of Jesus Christ. It has to be this, they're, they're having this epiphany that this is it. And, and of course, it, it didn't turn out that way. But the point is, it does lead us to the conclusion that we need to not look at the temporal or the normal or the natural. We need to look at that which is beyond us and see something that's, that's heavenly and eternal. 
that which will last forever and ever. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and forever. He is the one who reigns. Listen, friends, I, I, I'm more of an American than you are. You, for the most part, and some, there may be some exceptions here, and you may be like me, but for the most part, most of you, all you had to do was be born here. You just arrived, and you were here, and you were an American. I chose to be an American. I became an American in 2003, and since then, things have started to go downhill. But, um, <laughs> so I became an American in 2003, and, and uh, I chose to be an American, and, and I believe in America. But I want you to know that the, uh, the, the Pax Americana, the American peace, is not the peace of Christ. It is not the Pax Christos. It is not the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ transcends any earthly kingdom. The kingdoms of the world will fall. They will subsume themselves to the glory of the risen Christ, the ascended Christ, the Christ who sits at the right hand of the majesty on high. It is he who will be declared king of kings and Lord is lords. And on his vesture and on his thigh will be written those, those wonderful words. And he will come again. Jesus Christ will come again. And may you be caused in these days not to hand wring. May you be caused not to, to just simply uh, kind of say, oh no, what are we going to do? And, and run with our hair on fire. Listen, friends, may you be caused to look heavenward and say, look, our redemption is drawing nigh. Jesus Christ is about to break the eastern sky. He's coming again. Amen. What I do when I say that is, if you're not going to, I'll say it for myself. Amen. <laughs> so I want to compare, and this, so you're in this series on the signs of the times, and it's so important. Thank you to the whole team. Thank you to uh, Joe Nathan, who uh, took our, uh, our notes and, and, and did something with them last night. It'll, it remains to be seen what, but we'll see what he did with them. All right. Thank you, and thank you to the whole team. You know what? It takes a whole team, and this whole deal of serving uh, that you saw this, um, this video uh, worthy of YouTube, um, uh, that, that video uh, uh, invites you to serve. And uh, I like the fact that he started with the scripture from the Gospel of Mark that Jesus didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life a ransom for many. So, uh, hey, be a servant today and encourage you to do that. So you're in this series. This is important. Because if you know Jesus, you are not going to get eternal life. You have eternal life. The day you gave your life to Jesus was the day you began to have eternal life. Eternal life is not something you get when you die. It's something you have now. We're going to compare two portions of scripture. The first is from Luke, and Jesus is speaking to his disciples, and he tells them some things that alerts them to the end times, to the last days, his second coming, his return. And when we read this particular scripture and it comes on the screen, I want you to know that you'll say, well, yeah, I, I, I recognize that scripture. But let's look at it. Luke 17, verses 26 to 27. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man, meaning in my second return. People will, were, were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but I eat, I drink, I got married, I was given in marriage, Seems like that was pretty normal stuff. What's Jesus saying here? Is he suggesting that when you're just doing normal stuff that, that this, is, this is somehow a, um, a stain on our, on, our, on our living? No, what he's saying here is the focus was on eating and drinking and getting married and being given in marriage. The focus is on the temporal. The focus on, is on the here and the now. And much of my life, frankly, even... Me, in ministry, where I make my living with my mouth, and I, uh, I work at the ministry, and so I spend time, extended periods of time in the Word, and, and in preparation, and all those kind of things. Even me, I find sometimes my focus is totally on the natural, the normal, the everyday, the routine. And sometimes I miss 
the fact that I am a child of the king and my focus is to be on him. And so when I'm raising my children and I'm, when I'm buying groceries and when I'm, when I'm doing routine things like pressure spraying as I did all day yesterday, my wife's motto is, honey, I love you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. She gets up in the morning, she has a plan for hers and mine. <laughs> and the focus becomes very, very much on the temporal and the here and now. My father got saved in the, in the 1940s and he was a, in his late teens. And he was a drunkard at that time. He was tall like me. Actually, I towered over him. He was only, he was only five foot two. And five years ago in November, he went to be with Jesus, but he got saved then, and he was gloriously saved. Back in those days, after he, he, had, he had been saved, in, in, after being strike-bound in the city of Vancouver, British Columbia, and then he went back on the ship finally after several months of being discipled, he went back on the ship and took several months to get around to the other side of Canada where he was from, and he... Um, started to go to the church that they told him not to go to, which was the, the, the new Pentecostal church. And they had, they had church literally every night of the week. There was one thing or another going on every night of the week. And by the way, you went three times on Sunday, too. Sometimes we say every day and twice on Sunday. Well, in their case, it was every day and three times on Sunday. And as new believers, they were just encouraged to be there. And that was a part of their discipleship process. That was, that's the reason why they understood the word. That's the reason why they had a, they had a new focus. And I remember somebody going to my father and trying to sell him insurance. And he said, I don't need your assurance, insurance. I have the blessed assurance. And of course, since then, and I thank God that he did, that he did get some insurance. And... Um, uh, my, my mother used to say that she had no expectation that, that her, her sons and she, they, they, my parents had three, three, uh, three, three children, all of them boys. And uh, the, the first two, I'm the third one, the first two were twins, dumb and dumber. And um, so actually hopeless and helpless. But anyway, um, they, they, my mother would say, I have no expectation of my boys ever growing up. Why? Because, and in fact, as it related to my older brothers, they haven't grown up. Thank God for me. And, um, but, so what happened was uh, uh, she had no expectation of ever growing up. Why? Because Jesus was coming back again soon. So they lived with an eternal perspective. And what Jesus is saying is in the days of Noah, there was just a kind of a, a routine, a focus on the temporal, a focus on that which is only going to last for a short period of time. And Jesus says in the last days, that's what it's going to be like, where people will be focused on the here and now. And they'll miss the eternal. They'll be focused on everything but the things of God. And then immediately after this, Jesus tells them this parable. The parable follows the discussion on the end times. And the parable is about prayer. The parable addresses the signs of the times. Now, if we have that, let's put it on the screen and we'll see. Now, what I'd like to do um, is if we can all say it together. I believe in the public reading of the word. I know you do too. I know you're being very quiet about it and being very reserved about it, and, and, but inside you're vigorously amening. All right. Are you ready? Let's lift up our voice and let's move along. And by the way, I am not a good reader. I'm dyslexic. Sometimes I'm back in talk words and things just go all mixed up and I wix up my words. And so just, just, have, just have patience with me if I do that. My wife always tells me, don't read out loud. Just tell them to read the scripture on their own. Okay, so let's not tell her I did this. All right, you ready? All right, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea. Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he, putting them off, I tell you, 
he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, we're going to quickly transition to the book of Genesis. We're going to go from Luke way back to the book of Genesis. All right? By the way, did, did I read all right? I mean, really? Maybe I'll get you on video saying that later, okay? So, and I'll take it home and show it to my wife. All right. So let's go to Genesis. And if you think your family has trouble, look at the first family. If you think you've got some wackos in your family, look at the first family. In fact, if you want to see your family as normal, go to the county fair. <laughs> or Walmart on a Saturday night. All right? So let's go to Genesis. Adam and Eve. They have two sons. They have more than that, but they have two sons that are being mentioned here. Cain and Abel. Cain was a man of the fields and he grew vegetables. Abel was a man of livestock and he raised animals. Cain offers a sacrifice to God that was of his produce. Abel offers a sacrifice to God that required the shedding of blood. And without the shedding of blood, the scripture says, because it's a theme throughout scripture, there is no remission for sin. So right at the very beginning, there was an understanding, even from the sin of Adam and Eve, where animals had to be, had to be, had to be uh, slaughtered in order to cover up for the shame of their nakedness. And, and so right from the very beginning, there was a And so it was an understanding that God accepted animal sacrifices. That was what he accepted because it, it was a reference to the shed blood. And it would be, of course, a, a prophetic act looking forward to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And even to this day, there is no other way to come into peace with Jesus Christ but without the shedding of blood. And so Cain offers some produce to God, an inappropriate sacrifice, and then became angry with Abel's sacrifice but not his own. And here's what we find out. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face so downcast? If you do what is right, you'll... Will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Or other translations say you must master it. But he didn't master it. What did he do? He committed the, the sinful and heinous crime of fratricide. He killed his brother. Cain lures his brother away into a field and he, and he kills him. And God confronts Cain. Now, at this time, there was no capital punishment, so Cain did not lose his life. But God drives him away from God's presence. And Cain realizes that he's in trouble. He's living in fear and is afraid of being murdered himself. He's saying, God, man, you're driving me away, and now I'm going to be, people are going to be pursuing me, and he's really upset. And you can read about this in Genesis chapter 4. But God promises not to kill him, but he will miss God's presence. Beloved, understand this, please. When you miss the presence of the Lord, you've missed everything. What did David say? David said this, Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. I mean, you can do a lot of things to me, but please don't cast me away from his presence. And friends, if you want to talk about heaven and hell, listen, we can talk about that today, and we can give you theological bases and all that, but listen to me. Understand this. The tragedy of, of the, the triumph of heaven is that we'll be in the presence of the Lord forever, but the tragedy of hell is not the flames, is not the fire, it's not the eternal burning. The tragedy of hell is that you're outside of the presence of God with no remedy forever and ever. You've missed it. It's a point of contrast. It's a place where you ought to have been and you've missed it. And now you're exempt from his presence. That's the tragedy. And what a tragedy that he would move outside of the presence of the Lord. Cain said to the Lord this. He said, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer. Listen to me, understand this. When you've been and known the presence of the Lord and then you're exempted from it, you become a restless wanderer. 
You move from the presence of the Lord. Listen to me, friends. You raising children, and listen, it's tough to raise children, but get them into the presence of the Lord. Listen, no baseball practice, no no television show, no school project is any more important than being in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, raise your children in a way that they'll anticipate and be used to and know of and yearn for and desire the presence of Jesus. Well, a real crisis driven from the presence of the Lord, a major deal. In the rest of the chapter 4, we find that Cain becomes a builder of cities. He becomes an architect of cities, and he has children. And one of them is Lamech, who married two women. And this was the beginning of polygamy. And friends, what is the punishment for polygamy? It's polygamy. <laughs> it is its own punishment. Can you imagine having two wives? I thought I was busy yesterday. <laughs> Maybe she really is two people. <laughs> and this is the beginning of really a, a, a lifestyle that was not God's will. Lamech, it says, married two women. One named Ada, another named Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabel. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who played stringed instruments and pipes. Zillah also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. And so you have this very entrepreneurial family being raised up. You have Cain having a son, and the son has children. And those children are extremely entrepreneurial, as was Cain. Cain had to become an entrepreneur, and he begins to build cities, and he raises children and grandchildren who are themselves entrepreneurial. And they begin to do some an amazing things. So Cain becomes the city builder. The offspring begin to become the, the uh, people involved in business and in entertainment. One becomes the father uh, uh, of arts and entertainment. He's building musical instruments and things by which people may entertain themselves. And the other becomes the father of industry and business. And he's building implements that help farm implements that help people um, uh, do work the soil. And he also uh, begins to build instruments that are going to take people to war. And he becomes an industrialist and a businessman. The other one becomes involved in arts and entertainment. And you can see that the focus of Cain, Cain gives an inappropriate sacrifice. He kills his brother. He's driven from the presence of the Lord. He becomes an entrepreneur. But in that entrepreneurship, it becomes the focus of his family, not just simply to um, just kind of live and, and, and just kind of exist. No, they become a, a major force for industry and, and, and entertainment and arts and business, and they become focused on that. But wait, there's more. There's more. Because parallel to that, Adam and Eve still live. And Eve, grieving over the loss of her son, Seth. And by the way, if you've lost a child, it's incredibly difficult. But lose a child to the fratricide the fratricidal act of one of your other children, and that is horrendous. I was preaching some time ago in a church in Chicago. One of my friends told me he wants to die in Chicago because after, and wants to be buried there because after he, he dies and is buried there, he can still remain politically active. And um, so I was preaching at this church for some reason, I preached this particular message that was talk about serving those who have wounded you. And the senior pastor's wife was sitting there, and it was her son that was murdered by their grandson right in their own home with no indication it was going to happen. It just, just, ha it just happened in an instant. And the deep wounds, the deep grief. You can imagine what Adam and Eve must have went through knowing that one of their sons killed their other son. And the scripture goes on to say that Adam, and we, we put this, 
with this on here, this is not the general translation that I, that I, that I read, but it is the updated version, and, and, and I, we knew it would appear, appeal to some of you and be a little more salacious and lurid and torrid. So Adam made love to his wife again. And she gave birth to a son named Seth. And she says this, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. You can imagine. Seth also had a son and he named him Enosh. And at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. So you have Cain kills Abel. Cain He has a son and he has grandchildren and they become the father of entertainment and arts. And you have uh, Cain having Lamech and Lamech becomes the father of one who is a leading industrialist and businessman. But then you have Adam and Eve, meanwhile, back at the ranch, parallel to what's going on here, Adam and Eve, they make love again and they end up with Seth. And Seth produces a son, Enosh. And Enosh becomes the father of the prayer movement. Now listen to me, friends. Enosh had to, pray, had, to, had to feed himself. He had to drink. He had to get married. He had to do a lot of temporal things. But it is saying characteristic of Enoch's, Enosh's life and characteristic of Seth and the line of Seth is that they focused on the things of God while Cain's line focused on the temporal, on the things that with an eternal perspective are not going to matter. You see, hope springs uh, uh, from amidst this catastrophic family difficulty. Hope springs and God sends another son, produces a son that will produce a hopeful line. So what was the era that Cain and his offspring were in? It was what? It was in the years leading up to the days of Noah. We're reading from chapter 4 and chapter 5. What does chapter 6 say? Chapter 6 says that in the days of Noah. So this is, the, this is the period leading up to the days of Noah. What was the scripture we read from the Gospel of Luke? In just like the days of Noah. And what's happening in the world today is there are two parallel families operating. There is a family that's operating that's focused on the temporal, the here and the now, what's in it for me, uh, what, what, what can we do to make my life more pleasurable now? That's what's one family. But there's also another family that's operating in the world today. And that family is focused on the eternal. That family is focused on the things of God. That family is focused on prayer. That family knows this is not all there is. That family is not shaken by what they're seeing in the newspaper or seeing on television. That family is a family of God. And that family is living for Jesus Christ. And as a result, they have hope. And they're bringing hope to a hopeless world that's what's taking place and so outside of God's presence one family was focused and becomes the father of city building arts and entertainment and the building of industrial implements in relationship with God the other family becomes the father of the prayer movement and now we can ask who's your daddy who's your spiritual daddy Who's the father that typifies you? Who's the father that really is is concerned about your life? Is it the father who's concerned about the temporal? That which lasts for time and time alone? You see, Goodrich is dead. Ford is dead. Carnegie is dead. All these wonderful industrialists that built America in so many ways, they're dead. But the legacy of the men and the women of God live on long after they're dead. There are countless, even millions of people around the world who can say because of the legacy of Billy Graham, I live for Jesus today. Billy Graham dead, yet he lives. I'm here to tell you today, we need some folks who will say, my focus is not, listen to me, yes, you need to eat, you need to drink, and yeah, you need to get married and all those kind of things. But ultimately, our focus is on Jesus Christ. I was impressed recently with a wedding I did not attend. That is always a wedding I'm impressed with. I don't know what it is about weddings, but I just have no desire. Maybe they bring back bad... No, no, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, I don't know what it is, but I I just... Look, I'd rather do ten funerals than one wedding. As a pastor, I'd rather do ten funerals than one wedding. There are brides that have trouble with homicide. They are homicidal. You have to be afraid of them. 
I'm wondering if you shouldn't have a security or something when you have the, when you have the, the rehearsal and all that. But my, my brother and his wife went to a wedding recently, and they talked about how Jesus was central in that wedding. How they had communion. How they washed each other's feet. How they gave testimony to their relationship with Jesus. You see, it was of necessity that they get married. It was of necessity that they do something that millions of other couples are doing all over the world on that particular day. Having said that, it was a necessity also for them to focus not just on the temporal and the here and now, but to focus on the eternal. You see, we're different than the world. We live differently. And my fear for some of us is, hey, if I don't have something better to do. I was in a church recently, and, they, and the gentleman said to me, well, I wasn't here for the last couple of weeks because I, I had something to do. I'm thinking, so your view is when you come to church, this is really nothing to do. You're really bored. Listen to me, friends. When what's on TV or what's happening in the sports world is more important than being together with God's people, you need to examine yourself. You see, I'm just a hired gun. I'm, I'm, I blow in, blow up, and blow out. Listen, as long as you don't rush the stage and beat me, I'm fine. I don't, I don't really, I'm not offended if you don't like what I say. I'm here to tell you, however, friends, and, and, and I can literally count on one hand the amount of times I was not in church as a child. Now, I know some of you think you were, you, you were born just after church was invented. I realize that. I know I'm old. I understand that. All right? Having said that, it worked because my parents raised three boys who are serving the Lord, who raised children who are serving the Lord, who are raising children that are serving the Lord. Why? Because they learned something about being faithful to the presence of God and not just emphasizing the temporal and the here and now and lettering and being all important at school and getting this mark and all that. Listen, we weren't the brightest students in the schoolroom. I'll tell you, we weren't the smartest, but I'll tell you, we knew the presence of God. We knew what it was to stand on the Word of God. And yeah, I have a few advanced degrees now, and that just shows you the low state of the, our education system when they give me some degrees. But listen, I want you to know that having said all of that, understand this, please, friends. The presence of Jesus is what I need to get my family into. And some of you parents need to take some courage and say, you know what, I, I, I realize that you, know, you want to be involved in, in, in learning how to play the tuba and, 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 and being in, in sports and, 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 and learning how to, how, to, how to macrame. Okay, so maybe you're not in the 70s. Anyway, um, uh, in the 1870s. Um, learning how to do all the kinds of things. And, and Listen, some of you need to, you need to get off the, the, the little hamster's wheel where you go boogity 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 and you get nowhere. And say, you know what, as a family, we're going we're gonna to turn off the TV, we're going to turn off the devices, we're going to turn on to Jesus and let him minister to us and let's get into his presence. You get to choose who your daddy is. And I say, isn't it time to make Seth and Enosh our daddy? We get to choose what we focus on, the entertainment and the worldly stuff or that which produces worth, or wealth rather, or will we focus on eternity and that which will take us to the challenges? Jesus told his disciples that in the end times they will just be like the days of Noah. Like the days of Cain and his family. That would be a sign that the end times are here. And it's so regrettable when we see, even in the church, people say, well, I, you know, I can't be, you know. And, and by the way, if I have to walk a few blocks to get to church, you know, I, I, I can't make it. I'm sorry. Oh, it's too cold, or it's too warm, or it's going to rain. I'm telling you, friends, this is not about church attendance. This is about the presence of God and being with God's people. And then Jesus tells them the parable. Jesus tells them this parable, and here's what's interesting. To show them they should always pray and not give up. Don't, get, don't misunderstand the principle of the parable. And I like the fact that, that, that Luke editorializes here. He puts, he puts his words here. It's not Jesus' words. It's his own words. Jesus tells you this parable to show you should pray and not give up. That's the point of the parable. The point of the parable is not to get all bogged down with, with, with the unjust judge and why there was, unjust, you know, there was a lack of justice at that time and social justice and all that. That's not the point of the parable. The point of the 
parable, and Luke makes it clear, it's that we always should pray and not give up. We always should pray and not give up. Let's say it together. We always should pray and not give up. We always should pray and not give up. Lift up your voice and say, we always should pray and not give up. That's the point of the parable. And then we have... I, at least he looks friendly before he, before he beats your face off. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God and cared for what people thought. Now remember, this is a parable of contrast. There are other portions of scripture we could point out about this as well. There, the, the, in the, the certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. This is a contrast. There was a widow in the town who kept coming to him, give me, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. It's a parable about contrast. Jesus and God are not the unjust judge. He is contrasting the unjust judge to the goodness of the God that we serve. But finally he says to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet even because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so she won't eventually come back and attack me. Widows can be somewhat threatening. And so what happens here is that Jesus is telling a parable of contrast. He's contrasting the unjust judge who is absolutely evil to the goodness of God who is, which is beyond measure. And he's basically saying, hey, if an unjust judge will finally relent, will not the God of heaven hear and answer prayer? Listen to what he says. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? And will he keep putting them off? No, I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Now, quickly here does not mean that you only pray once and all of a sudden you have it. Quickly means here when it comes, it comes suddenly. You persevere for years and years and years, maybe weeks, maybe months, whatever, and you seem like the heavens are brass and nothing appears to be happening. Then God comes. Then God comes. It was a tragedy that hit our family. It was an incredible, difficult time, and I'm able to say some of the things. I won't give you all the details, but I, I was, I'm able to say some of the things because it's been written about publicly and spoken about publicly. But it was an incredibly difficult time, and all three of our children were, were struggling. And my wife and I didn't know what to do. It was several years ago now. We had only one thing to do. And we began to fast and pray and call on God. All I knew, it, it was like my default thought throughout the day. If I wasn't thinking about whatever it is I was focused on at that moment related to my work or whatever, I... I would immediately be thinking about this situation with my children. And one of my children in particular was struggling very, very, in a very difficult marital situation. They had suffered the loss of their home to a fire. They had dealt with depression and all kinds of things. And it was just a difficult time. And, and then this horrific and catastrophic marital event took place. And I remember calling my son up and I'm saying to him would you be willing to go to a certain place and it was every, every by the way every miracle has a history we had overpaid we, we, had, we had underpaid a, a speaker who came to our church we had given him way more than what he asked for and, but when we came to do an audit after several months of the speaker being there we still had money left over in this particular account so I called him up and said how do you want me to remit this because he belonged to a big organization and before we even, he even asked, he asked me all these questions about my family. And he asked me by name. And so I told him about my son in particular. And as a father, my, my, my voice was breaking and, I, you know, I was, I, was, I was just devastated. We went on and did our business and I found out how to remit him the money. By the way, thank God those people overgave because that gave me a reason to call that guy. Because later in the conversation, he said, would your son be willing to come? And be my guest at my event. There'll be hundreds of people there, but he'll sit with me. He'll eat with me. I'll take care of his accommodation. All he has to do is get here. I said to my son, I phoned him up and I, I said, son, would you be willing? My friend has invited you to his conference. There's going to be all kinds of people there, but you'll sit with He, he didn't know this man. And he said, yes, dad, I'll, I'll do anything. And so we took care of the expenses and he got there. True to his word, my friend picked him up at the airport, 
and just took care of him. I'm sorry, he drove. And, my, and he picked him up, or he didn't pick him up. He, anyway, they met him, and, and he took care of him while he was there. And I called my son. It started on Wednesday, and I called my son on Thursday. I said, what's going on? How's it going? He said, well, I haven't heard a sermon yet since being here, but it's, it's, it's quite fun. Then I called him on Friday. I never heard from him. I called him Friday night. I never hear from him. On Saturday afternoon, my son calls me. Are you listening to me? He calls me. He said, Daddy, get this thing off of YouTube. Now listen, he must have told me to figure out the, 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 the recipe for cold nuclear fusion. Get this thing off of YouTube. How in the world do you do that? Well, anyway, I sat there and I played with my phone and prayed and he said it's there but it's there just get it off and record it over for me right right just after I I I take a trip on the space shuttle and 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 then and then get it for me because I haven't heard it and so I I finally figured out and it's a prophetic word over the boy Here's how it happened. The service starts. One song, two song. The second song was about the will of God and how God's will is always best and how God always always intervenes and et cetera, et cetera. And 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 it was it was it was a powerful song. But my son said, I, I believe it intellectually, God, but I don't believe it experientially because it's not my experience right now. And then he began to have tears come to his eyes and then he begins to cry and then he begins to heave and then he falls over into the arms of my friend who's standing beside him in the beginning of the service and my friend holds him and finally after tiring of holding him he sits down and across my friend's lap my son heaved and groaned and my friend like Jesus would do touched my son's hair something I would never do and he just prayed over him in a minute or so he falls on the floor that is not the man my son and he curls up into a a fetal ball and he lays there for almost four hours while the king of kings and the lord of lords does surgery on him are you listening to me Jesus came and revelated himself to him and surgically ministered to him literally years of condemnation and the weight of of accusations and fear and anxiety lifted off of him And in the presence of Jesus, God came. But while he laid there, the speaker who was to speak that night got up. And he said something like this. You thought you were doing the right thing. You sold everything to do the right thing. You made every sacrifice you could to do the right thing. And now you've done all the things you thought were right for you and your family to do. And it's all gone. It's all gone. It's fallen apart. There's nothing left. And you're saying, where is God? He said, but God's going to come. This is what the speaker said. He didn't know him. No one told him. He did not know my son. No one told him anything about his situation. My friend who hosted him, he said, I will tell nobody about anything about your son. So if God gives him a word, it will be a word from God. And that man said, but God is going to come. And he's going to come suddenly. And he's going to heal the marriage. He's going to heal the the, the ministry. He's going to do for you what you can't do for yourself. He's going to do the supernatural thing. My son never heard it. He was lost in God. That's why I was assigned with a supernatural task of getting it off of YouTube. And when we got it off of YouTube and I played it back, I remember being in my house and I began to shout. I began to shout. I began to shout. I said, I began to shout. Thank God Jesus is revealing himself in this troubled situation. 
Thank God his daddy is not arts and entertainment. Thank God his daddy is not industry and business. Thank God his daddy is Seth, the line of prayer. Thank God from that time on, men began to call upon the name of the Lord and his presence is real. But it gets worse. You say, what? I thought that was supposed to be good. It gets worse. Or as we say in Canada, it gets worse, It gets worse, sir, because when he gets home, it's not better. It's not better. And I would get these texts on Sunday morning. My son was a church planner. The church was only open five months. Dad, I'm all alone. I'm trying to do this. And I'd be in my service, and I'd be standing, and I'd get these texts, and it'd just break your heart to read them. Every text always ended with the same thing, send money. heart would break and I'd pray for him. I'd send him back prayers. I'd be standing there in the front texting him. But one Saturday night he called me. He said, Dad, it happened. It started at 4 o'clock this afternoon and it ended at 7 o'clock tonight. God came. God came into my home. God came. And there was repentance. And there was healing. And there was an outpouring of love. And there was forgiveness. And there was divine order. And some of you say, well, yeah, that's a big deal. And, but, you know, they had some real problems. Yeah, they had real problems. They did the marriage counseling thing. They did everything they should have done. They all went, to, they did it. I'm telling you, they did everything right as a father and as a, as a pastor and a leader. I know they did everything right from the, the months that, that went after that three-hour experience. But in that three-hour experience, God came. Are you listening to what the scripture says? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. He came in a suddenly. He moved by his spirit and he touched a family and he touched a home and he changed the destinies. And now that couple talks about that experience and, and, and it's powerful what God is doing. Listen to me, friends. We prayed and prayed and prayed and we sought God. We fasted and it seemed like nothing was going to happen. But quickly, suddenly, Jesus came. focus was not on a divorce attorney the focus was not on money the focus was not on the temporal the focus was not somehow manipulate the situation the focus was on the presence of Jesus the focus was on seeking God from that time on men began to call upon the name of the Lord and my question to you today is who's your daddy who's your daddy who are you following who are you leading your children to follow in these difficult times it will matter the point of the parable is clear It's relentless prayer. The prayer contrasts the goodness of God to even the most horrific of civic leaders. But listen to the last phrase. However, when the Son of Mankind comes, will He find faith on the earth? When He comes, will He find faith in your life? Will you be one of the ones praying coming from the line of Seth and Enosh. You see, we're in the days of Noah where the focus is on everything but God. You see, I believe America is experiencing and is about to experience a greater sense of an awareness that we are in the last days. These are signs of the times. We need to turn to the Father that we want to characterize us. My daddy's a hero to me. He's five foot two. He's a hero to me. I want to be characterized by his life because he relentlessly served the Lord. He was an optimist. We often, how would dad react during the pandemic? Other than mom driving them absolutely crazy because they have to be quarantined in the same home together, they would be doing just fine. You see, dad was the kind of guy that that the glass wasn't just half full. It was overflowing. Mom, she can't find the glass. It's gone. Someone stole the glass, Leonard. Oh, shut up, Willow. We're doing fine. Believers need to turn to the Lord like we never have before. 
not as political partisans, but as kingdom Christians who realize, again, that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and forever. We have a kingdom perspective. We have a king who reigns. Psalm 11 asks this, when the righteous are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? And the answer comes right after it. The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord is on His heavenly throne. He observes everyone on the earth. He says, His eyes examines them. The Lord examines the righteous. It says in Psalm 34 that the eyes of the Lord are what? Are upon the righteous and His ear is attentive to their cry. But But there's another part to it. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. You get to choose who your daddy is. What's the scripture say in 2 Chronicles 16 and 9? For the eyes of the Lord look or range throughout the whole earth. Seeking to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And with this we stop. We are children of Seth. We are children of Enosh. We are the fathers of the prayer, who are the fathers of the prayer movement. We are not descendants of Cain, who are focused on arts, entertainment, may I add sports. Friends, I watch sports, but there's many a day I can't take any more advertisements. I'm serious. And the filth that comes across in advertisements, the political statements that are being made, all that stuff has just turned me off. And you know what I've done as a result? I've turned the sports off. Man does not live by sports alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We know that we're living in the days of Noah, and we're, return- we're awaiting his second return. But we're doing this in faith believing that we're people of the presence. And there are people in this room who need a miracle. You need God to come. Maybe you've prayed, maybe you've prayed intermittently, maybe you've not prayed at all. But you decide who your daddy is. From this day on, men and women begin to call upon the name of the Lord. And we do so without relenting. We do so without stopping. You say, well, I've prayed. I've prayed once. I've prayed twice. I've prayed three times. I'm telling you, you pray. You keep on praying. You pray a hundred times a day. If it's the last thing you breathe in your life, you pray and you believe God. I just heard of a gentleman recently who, who, who prayed for literally decades for his boys. And his boys never got saved till two years after he died. I'm telling you, friends, it's time for us to choose whose presence we desire to be in. I want God to come. I want God to come. I want God to come. The zeitgeist of the times are demanding no other response from children of God. that we recognize our daddy as the daddy of prayer, intercession, calling on God. My God, come on, let's lift up our voices right now. Come on, let's cry out to the Lord. Father, we need you. I'm inviting you to join with me. Don't let me just pray for you, but you, you join me. Father, we need you. Come on, tell him you need him today. In the name of Jesus, all over this room, front to back, men, women, children, older people, young people, in the name of Jesus, all over this room, move by your spirit. We pray.